Indonesian man, dressed in a fine suit, which, after a while, revealed itself to be vaguely soiled and threadbare, like the metro sign next to him. Drawing his sorrowful eyes so that they also emanated strength was inspired by memories of my grandfather, who fished the northwest seas off the Oregon coast until the day he died. Grandfather seemed to always know when I needed special attention as a boy, inviting me out to Tillamook to spend a weekend, or in the summer, a full week with him and Grandma. He would take me fishing, his cure-all, and once, after my pet rabbit died and I was wrecked, he talked about how the sea held all the truth and beauty of life, inescapable emptiness with the very core of sustenance in its depths. The concept was lost on me, but its sentiment came through. The enigmatic ocean, like blues music, put things into a certain perspective and soothed the pain. My phone buzzed. I stopped walking, cautiously took it out of my pocket. There was an email from the curator, Janet, a Japanese woman whom I'd met at my first show many years ago and who had sadly become my one and only remaining advocate. Suddenly, I was afraid to open the email, paralyzed by a vivid memory from my last show three years ago, which seemed to rush at me with the flow of the river an arm's length away. Everyone who'd come to the Soho Gallery, the collectors, the art enthusiasts, even my mother and father, noticed the New York Times art critic entering the gallery. He approached my six pieces, Venice Beach homeless portraits, and sighed with tedium, letting his head drop slightly to one side before stepping away to view the other artists' work in the group show. The entire room was embarrassed for me, and no one would look at me. I refused to slink off and mingled for another hour, The next day, I found out that I was the only artist in the show who didn't sell at least one piece. Nathan Woods, read the Times' review, makes pictures for people who want to hang something nice over their designer couches. My father had come all the way from Portland, Oregon, but only because he'd already scheduled a meeting with one of his New York clients, and he'd brought my mother. At the end of breakfast, before I left for the airport to fly back to Venice Beach, where I lived and painted in a small studio apartment, my father put his hand on my shoulder and looked into my eyes. Have you had enough? he said. I leaned back in the chair. His arm hovered for a moment before lowering, and I glared at him. The message seems pretty clear, Nathan, he added. I nodded and glanced at my mother. She grimaced, lips folded, eyes unblinking, similar to the look my twin sister Alice had given me when I left the University of Washington to pursue art. I stood, dropped a twenty on the table, and walked out of the restaurant. For the entire cab ride to JFK, I posed the same question over and over. Am I lying to myself? During the flight, every time I shut out my father's condescension and stopped trying to defend myself, grasping a moment of peace, the question would boomerang back in a new form. 
How do you keep doing it when everyone seems to be telling you to stop? Do you know more than everyone else, is that it? At one point, I noticed other passengers looking at me, and I wondered if I was thinking out loud. In grade school, I'd copied Andrew Wyeth paintings, and then moved on to Degas and some of the other big boys in high school. That's how I got into Cal Arts. My technique was as good as the master's. But no one seems to want to buy your original work, my father had once pointed out. I have to keep grinding away, giving it everything I have, living on pasta and peanut butter until I find my niche, I told myself on the plane. Lucian Freud, a mediocre draftsman who imitated whatever style was in vogue for years, finally found his niche by focusing on painting flesh cultivating this particular gift to expose the privileged class unhappy in their skin.